Hey, you're listening to Black Dot Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, Advancing Equilibrium in the Midst of an Agitated World. This is Season 8, Episode 174. Title, Griffith Park in Los Angeles, California. Subtitle, A Radical Idea for the Christian Church in the 21st Century. Now, when I said the word radical idea, some of you right there clamped down and now have entered into a resistive mode. But friend, I want to invite you. Listen to what I have to say with an open heart and open mind and pray about it and see what God is saying to you regarding this topic. But comedian Kevin Nealon hosted a successful video channel called Hiking with Kevin, which sadly ceased new video productions about a year ago, evidently as a result of the COVID-19 bans in Los Angeles, California. Nealon's channel on YouTube still has 255,000 subscribers and a total of 21,391,947 views. When active, Nealon posted a new hike every Thursday that featured hiking in Griffith Park that included revealing interviews with celebrity friends that he captured by carrying his own selfie stick. It was quirky and creative. It was a cool endeavor that filmed celebrities answering real questions while following Nealon up and down difficult trails, mainly filmed in the deep ravines of Griffith Park. The positioning of the people in the midst of the natural space was amazing. You really got a sense of just how rugged and isolated that special land is, located right in the middle of some of the most densely populated real estate in the United States. Kevin Nealon would show the viewer his perspective of the wilderness area as he ascended the hills, then turned to show the vista of downtown Los Angeles. The thing that intrigued me most about the show was how was it possible that that amount of land was set aside as a public park long before the massive growth of Los Angeles. It had to come about by a great visionary in order for that much beautiful contiguous land to be intact in order to be the park. So I started doing some digging to find out how that happened. I admire cities and governments who are impacted for the good by people and developers who make room for the outdoors. At more than 4,500 acres, Griffith Park is one of the largest municipal parks in the United States. Its founder, the controversial and complicated Griffith J. Griffith, donated the land to the city as a public recreation ground for all the people. On March 5, 1898, Griffith originally conveyed to the city of Los Angeles some 3,800 acres of land, known as Griffith Park. The conveyance was made on these conditions. To be used as a public park for the purposes of recreation, health, and pleasure, for the use and benefit of the inhabitants of the said city of Los Angeles, forever. And this gift and grant is made, and said property is hereby conveyed upon condition that said land shall be used and maintained by said city of Los Angeles and its successors in interest and estate exclusively as a public park and pleasure ground for the amusement, recreation, health, and pleasure of its inhabitants and upon the further condition that the name of said park, now established by ordinance of said city, to wit, Griffith Park, be continued as the official name and designation of said park, and whenever said tract of land hereby conveyed, or any part thereof shall cease to be used as a park, and for pleasure, amusement, recreation, health, and uses incident to the aforesaid uses, according to the intents and meanings of the same, and if said city of its successors, an interest or estate shall at any time change the official name of said park from Griffith Park to some other name or designation, then the lands hereby conveyed 
shall immediately, upon the happening of either of said events, revert to said parties of the first part or to their heirs. Folks, in a nutshell, what that means is that Mr. Griffith gave the land to the city with the condition it remained a city park and that it remained named Griffith Park. If on either account anything modified, then all of the land would be reverted back to the family. So now the 18,710,563 inhabitants of the greater Los Angeles metropolitan area have this massive area of land to hike and enjoy, all because of the forethought and gift of one person. And the poison pill embedded in the deed has provided ground rules that have guarded the land for over 100 years or resulting in suffering of loss of the land by defaulting back to the original owners. The webpage I retrieved this information from regarding the charter is actually a document of a lawsuit filed by Griffith's son against the city of Los Angeles for a violation of the agreement. The link's in the show notes. The whole Griffith Park story resonated with me. It got me thinking. Here is a radical idea for the 21st century church in America. This is not something I just came up with recently. It has been on my mind ever since I was a church administrator responsible for the care and upkeep of the church facilities. It was just recently stimulated again by a conversation with a longtime friend who told me about a problem his local church was having with policing skaters and taggers. I responded that maybe the solution was for the church to offload the headache, donate the property to the city if the city were interested, and let them be the ones to take care of the ongoing problem. Here's the radical idea. Deed the church-owned property and physical assets over to the municipality in which your church sits along with agreements that are perpetual, that are legally tying and binding into perpetuity in the same way the Griffith family did with thousands of acres in Hollywood. If the city at any point decides it wants to sell the property or not maintain it as that which it was designated to be in recipient of the gift, then the assets would be turned back over to the donating church. Friends, this would open the doors to the community in which it sits for meeting halls and rooms, conferences and concerts, Cub Scouts and hot yoga classes, Little League season launch meetings, etc. The facilities turned over to the city to be a blessing to the entire region, plus perhaps a revenue-generating center that could provide income for the city, which would help offset the burden of taxes on the citizens. Additionally, it would alleviate the church of the headache of the overhead maintenance of the facilities, the insurance on the property, the increasing concern over vandalism and youth destruction, friends, which is a growing problem in all the major metropolitan areas, the tagging and gang activity. Embedded in the agreement would be the church's retention of the right of first access to the few key hours it needs it, the Sunday morning block and perhaps Wednesday evenings. Almost all churches in America hold prime real estate in the cities in which they sit and are only open for a few hours of the week. The massive ownership of such assets that are used so little is poor stewardship and sends a terrible message of hypocrisy by the local church to the world. You have to ask yourself, why is the church so interested in owning, controlling, constructing, physical assets that we as Christians know in the end will be vaporized along with the destruction of the planet. Everything on the earth is passing. None of this makes it into eternity. With the advent of the digital office, which we're seeing grow leaps and bounds by all the major corporations in the world, 
The need for church staff to congregate in one place is only necessary if you are led by a control freak who doubts the work ethics of its staff. Friend, to this I have this to say. If you feel that way about your staff, fire your staff. Ministers of the gospel and people who serve Jesus professionally above all people should be people above reproach in this area. So if you have a question about that aspect of your church staff, fire them immediately. If you need to meet as a group, why pay for the high cost of electricity, insurance, upkeep, maintenance, and liability when you can all meet at Starbucks, drink decent coffee? (laughs) I'm not saying coffee. (laughs) Starbucks has great coffee, but drink decent coffee and use their free Wi-Fi. If you need to have a dinner banquet, why go to all the trouble of setting up the fellowship hall, the custodial crews, the cleaning crews, the reset crews, the kitchen staff to cook, the purchasing of the food, the preparation of the food. Why not just meet at the local hotel who has banquet facilities that you can easily secure and access? If your answer is the hotel room is cost prohibitive, then maybe you need to assess how you're going about your church ministries and activities. What about Christian education for children, something that is especially important to me? Friend, it should be within the realm of possibilities to secure the donated facilities for that time on Sunday mornings. If not, how about kids clubs that we did like back in Cub Scouts when I was a kid in the homes hosted by caring people? If that is deemed too risky in today's increasingly child abusive culture, which friend, I think it may be time that it is too risky. And let me say as a side note, friend, it really may be too risky today to host Sunday school classrooms in your church, I have personally seen and witnessed and experienced great heartache because of people being accused of improprieties with children while under the care of the church. I've seen this. We've dealt with it. It is a terrible tragedy, and yet it is something that is immensely serious when accusations are hurled. Serious. And let me remind you that every Sunday school teacher today is in harm's way All it takes is one parent, one person to make an accusation that a child has been manipulated or fondled and they will be in trouble. And as Big Mike Carey, who is a a Christian police officer that we led to the Lord while on staff at a church in Irving, Big Mike Carey, who spoke to our our people that taught the children's Sunday school, uh, he met with them behind closed doors. I wasn't present. He said, Kenny, you let me speak to them. When, when I get finished with them, they'll believe you when you say you have to have multiple workers in a class for, to protect against child abuse charges. And Mike taught them in a nutshell, when accusations are made, you are guilty until proven innocent. You're not innocent until proven guilty. When it comes to child molestation charges, you're guilty. The cops see you as guilty until you show that you're not. And so, friend, this is a new day, and this is a strong consideration. And so, in fact, it may be that the church's days of the organized Sunday school classrooms with one teacher, two teachers, and being placed in harm's way for accusation, it may be over with. And friend, that's not a bad thing because we need to adapt and adopt new ways and procedures that are absolutely possible in this burgeoning society we have. Even though we're now in the midst of an economic downturn, friend, this nation is abundantly blessed. And we have so many facilities available to us that are in public formats to where it is next to impossible to have child abuse charges to where the people leading the children and giving care to the children and teaching the children about Jesus are not put in harm's way. That's a side note, but it absolutely does tie into this whole equation. But for the children who do not have parents that attend church, 
you can easily set up an Adopt-A-Kid program so that all of the children are cared for. It doesn't require the ownership of educational buildings that sit empty 166 out of the 168 hours in a week, all to the exclusion of the citizens who have needs. Childhood Christian education really is the responsibility of the family, folks. For the kids who have no family support, again, Adopt-A-Kid is an easy way to go and it builds strong relationships. You know, you can sit here and say, hey, let's flip that idea though, Kenny. Let's say the solution is that the church maintains ownership and opens its doors freely to all who need the use of rooms and facilities. You may say that's what our church does. And I would say, friend, that appears to be a Christian thing to do, but it begs the question, should the church be in the business of building ownership, leasing, and management? Is this really the best use of God's kingdom money in today's modern society? Against that backdrop, I would say no. It is not the best use of people's gifts to God and their time and their talent and their treasures. Our world is rapidly changing, and there is a vast potential at our fingertips to do great good in a world of great need. We need to catch up in our thinking to the new possibilities and potentials that exist in our rapidly advancing society. If we look at Jesus's personal life model, we see that he modeled something really much, much different than what the local church in a modern American models today. Jesus said about himself that he didn't have a place to lay his head. I remember a prominent Baptist pastor speaking about the fact that well, what Jesus was referring to was that he was itinerant in nature. And friend, I say against that, that's garbage. Jesus was a part of the poverty class of Jerusalem, of Israel. Actually, he was from Nazareth and he ministered. His home base was Capernaum, but he was of the poverty class of Israel, folks. I mean, Jesus emptied himself of all of his priestly and heavenly and divine rights and came in poverty. We see him ministering in Zacchaeus's house. We see him borrowing the donkey for the triumphal entry. Folks, he didn't even own a donkey. But yet when he needed a donkey, what did he do? He used the technology available. It was prepared for him and it was available. How about the use of the upper room for the Last Supper? He didn't have a place to host the Last Supper, but yet God provided and met his need when he needed it and he used a borrowed upper room. How about his outdoor use of facilities, the Mount of Olives that was so prominent in the life of Christ? How about the Garden of Gethsemane that sat at the, the foot of the Mount of Olives? That's really where Jesus hung out with his friends and disciples to pray and to meet. How about all of the stories of him meeting in people's homes? How about the weddings and the other public places? Friend, you can find out more about that. I've got a link to the Jesus Footsteps webpage, 100 Events in a Thousand Days of Jesus's Public Ministry that chronicles the events and the key events of Jesus's ministry. I want you to notice how vastly different Jesus's ministry was compared to the ministries of today's churches. Take some time to check it out in the link in the show notes. Friend, it really is time we get out of the building ownership business, the building maintenance business, and the building construction business and we get on with the people ministry business that Jesus called us to in his great commission. Times have changed. The old ways are worn out, dated, unjustifiable, and unnecessary. Why not let other people manage the buildings, pay for the upkeep, pay for the insurance, deal with the graffiti taggers and the skateboarders, and let's focus our energy on meeting people in the highways and byways where they are and take the gospel to them. Go and tell instead of coming here. There is so much more to say about this subject. I've just scratched the surface. 
but at least it is the start of a much needed conversation. A vision of the organized and the successfully functioning church in the 21st century can greatly add to your peace and witness as a child of God and an ambassador to the world for Jesus Christ. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.